Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome to the Crowdmakers. I'm Bill Gertine, and today's guest is Jake Bai who is the Executive Vice President of Sales and Service for Learfield IMG College Ticket and Seat Solutions. And that is a mouthful. Jay, good morning and welcome to the program. Yes, it is. Very well done, though, and, and accurate. Thanks for having me, Bill. You bet. So it's been several months that you haven't been able to do all that you've wanted to do. What have you been doing during this pandemic time to better yourself? Is there a routine you've started, a book you've read, something you're grateful for? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, you know, I think a handful of things, and you know, some days it's it's easier to find that discipline and that drive than others. Um, but you know, I've gotten a pretty steady routine of starting the day with uh, you know avoiding news outlets and uh, instead going into a book. To your point, so um, you know, mostly uh, fiction, uh, sort of lighter stuff than I usually read. Simply, uh, you know, just to kind of get the day started, follow that with the workout, and you know, by eight thirty, nine o'clock. Uh, fully uh, activated the brain, the body, and ready to attack the day because they have been full and challenging days at times, to say the least. Um, so, you know, I think personally, uh, certainly not uh, taking for granted the extra time with uh, the family, too. And I've got three boys. They're all homeschooled, so they're around all the time. So they pop into my Zooms. I pop into their classes. Um, you know, and there'll be a time when we don't have those uh, little uplifting moments during a day. We're back on the road and, and you know, back in a, in a normal go, go, go type setting. So um, certainly appreciating uh, the, the novelty of uh, being around family too. Yeah, cool. Your staffs at IMG sell tickets for collegiate athletic departments and you also sell for pro sports teams too. Within the collegiate space, however, those events that you sell are mainly college basketball and football because those are the money makers. It's been such a roller coaster year for sports of all kinds, but especially collegiate athletics because of all the other hoops that you have to jump through. Take us through when you first heard about the potential for cancellations in mid-March, around that final four, and what the discussions were like at IMG from the inside. Yeah, it's, um, there was you know, a lot of I don't know. And uh, I think one thing about this is it's been humbling for all of us. If anybody tells you they know how to approach a situation like this, they're full of it. Um, you know, quick story. Uh, one of the most surreal professional experiences I had, I was in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament, and we worked with Cal, UCLA, you know, Oregon, Colorado, and I was actually walking from my hotel to T-Mobile Arena for a pregame event with Cal donors. They were playing UCLA, who's another great Learfield partner, and I got a call from, you know, my contact at Cal that said, well, they just canceled the tournament, and I said, what does that mean? And he, he said, I don't, I don't know. 
Um, and then it led to a series of couldn't get a flight home. Um, there was just an eerie sort of uncertainty around everybody that was still out in that moment and things started getting canceled and, you know, St. John's and other client, they were on the floor to start the second half at Madison Square Garden in the Big East tournament. So it just goes to show, you know, those sorts of things. If you would have told me that was going to happen this year, I wouldn't believed it until I actually saw it happen, which is a bit cliche, but I think it's true. And um, so, you know, at first, I think the, the uncertainty, there was just, um, you know, a lot of ideating about, okay, you know, if this were to happen, you know, then we'll respond this way. Like budgeting, for instance, I think we did eight or nine different scenarios because you just didn't know how it was going to play out. But I will say, you know, one, I think, great positive that has come out of this for our businesses, and I think a lot of businesses could probably say some variation of this, but you talk about long-term strategic planning and, you know, long-term ideas, all the things you want to do, but you don't have time to do them because you get into that day-to-day grind and six months goes by and, and, you know, you knocked out one of your five strategic objectives for the quarter or whatever it might be. So, you know, for us, that's things like, you know, our data and, and analytics team, we've got nine full-time analysts and we're looking to hire a centralized leader for that team. There's all these great projects we talk about having them do, but we don't want to do it at the expense of their day-to-day contribution to their individual partner that they, they work for. So, you know, having a pause in the core competency of ticket selling allowed us to do some of these projects and pricing studies and, you know, lift analysis, um, you know, which helps our business development story. You know, I think another great example is development in the college space. That's a huge revenue stream, of course. Um, you know, on top of a ticket purchase. And, and generally, we have wanted to focus more on that, but just haven't formalized it in our partnerships, or we didn't want to, again, pull our ticket reps, you know, away from a, a group ticket initiative to drive donor do- or do- development dollars. So that's another area we've amended over 12 uh, contracts to now formalize uh, some level of contribution our ticket reps can make on the development side. So I think to you know, really good examples. A third would, um, you know, be just the time spent training and developing our people, um, which again, you talk about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to one of the industry uh, all-time greats, Bill, and you, and, 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 you know, you and I have talked in the past when we've brought you in to train, you know, our, our staffs at a team. Uh, you know, those are great experiences and, you know, emotionally charged, the engagement level is high, the adoption's great, but then, you know, two, three weeks go by. And again, you fall back into those patterns and habits. And those are the types of things that fall by the, the wayside with this relentless chase for revenue and sellouts and all of those metrics that, that are, you know, very easy to measure. So um, three examples, there's a ton more, but, you know, very early on, I, I told the, the team, you know, let's spend every ounce of energy we possibly can to avoid talking about all the things that won't happen, all the things we didn't get, all the opportunities that were lost, and let's fill that void with all the things we now go get to do and get to focus on. And um, I'll give the team credit. They embrace that wholeheartedly. And uh, I think our company is better, stronger, certainly more resilient, and certainly more nimble today than we were seven months ago. And, you know, we've still got a tough road over the next three, four months. We, we all do in our business, maybe longer. Who knows? Sounds like I know what I'm talking about, which I don't. Um, but, uh, you know, I know when we do come out of it and get back to, you know, our bread and butter, which is helping schools deliver fan experiences and engagement and, and ultimately ticket sales, we're going to be so much better for this. I really believe yeah. that. 
Well, as you went through the summer, certainly many of the football programs you represent were selling a large percentage of their seats for home football games. And of course, had to dial it back according to their local and state governments. And of course, the university's mandates as well. Every market certainly has its own set of circumstances. But Jake, how did you as an organization go about planning for how many would be able to attend and which fans got the first right to attend? Um, It varied, really. And, um, you know, we have had I think five now these you know COVID-19 webinars where we've brought in all of our schools even our pro teams all of our liaisons and, and talked through strategies and ideas and um, you know one I think very popular one that emerged was the you know focusing on rolling over basically just saying look 2020 is going to be atypical no matter how you look at it so let's make a blank slate for our fans roll everything into 21 and, and go to a single game type model you know, for us, a lot of prongs with that, but, you know, we're part of Pacchiolan who developed uh, through Bellina and 3D uh, mapping the ability to make a socially, you know, distant manifest. So when we did get those parameters from a state government or, or regulatory, you know, hey, you can go to 20%, we were able to quickly build a manifest. And then, uh, you know, I also oversee Learfield IMG seat solutions. So we had a lot of schools that then brought in our seat back product to physically mark those locations. And then our ticket sales team comes behind that and is selling, you know, two and three game packages in some cases, single games in some cases. Uh, And then we had some traditional partners that generally are more subscribed with season ticket members that just went straight, you know, to their donor base and their season ticket base just gave priority based on points and tenure and such. And that's a very straightforward way to approach it. But as I said earlier, uh, it's okay this year more than any year to probably say, I don't know. And we joke all the time, um, you know, decision-making in 2020 has been like, let's find the least worst decision because they're all bad and painful, right? Um, but of all the bad and painful outcomes, like which one is the least painful um, and least incorrect? And, you know, I say that kind of facetiously, but, you know, some days certainly feel like you're running in place. You're working hard and you just don't feel like you're moving the ball down the field, pun intended. Um, so I think that was – you know, a lot of our approach is to listen, uh, learn, ideate, and, and never get to the point where there is a one-size-fits-all solution. Because one of my favorite things about this company is the diversity of our partnerships, the way they're structured, where they're located regionally, which has had a huge impact on how we've approached each partnership this year, just simply the part of the country, uh, the conference that they're in. Um, so it's been... Um, Again, if you told me this was how this year was going to go, I, w- I wouldn't believe it. And, and we joked right out of the gate. People say, hey, how are you holding up? And I said, well, uh, you know, I help lead a ticket sales company and we're not allowed to sell tickets. So um, not the most enviable position, but, you know, you can go one of two ways. You can lament your situation and, and panic or you can just say, look, we're going to have to make some hard decisions. And we certainly have. And, and the human element of this for everybody in every industry has been very difficult at times. But, you know, the, the focus has been when we come out of this, let's make sure we're strong uh, and ready to you know, be the best partner that we can be for our schools and our pro teams. And so that's how we've evaluated all of our decision-making or tried to. <laughs> well, as you've dealt with the least worst scenarios, you've had to navigate some pretty interesting conversations with fans. Have they been understanding for the most part or have there been some tense moments? Um, yeah, there's definitely been tense moments, but I would say overwhelmingly they have been understanding and empathetic. And that's what um, you know, we've consistently, you know, coached with, with our teams as, you know, this is a time to listen, um, to show some grace, 
uh, show some patience. Um, and, you know, at first, and I talked to some colleagues in, in the NFL from past stops. It's like, you know, hey, how do you approach a ticket sales process or a sales process in general when you have, you know, apparent economic you know, ruin and challenges and all this negativity going on around you? Is it tone deaf uh, to reach out? And for us, in a, in a weird sort of way, and, and believe me, I wish 2020 would have looked different than it has, but once the ticketing piece was taken out, and that, that was really the uncertainty, in the college space, the, and I touched on it earlier, development uh, is a unique vertical because it's such an emotional decision for somebody to, you know, donate to an institution. It's not a, it's not a pro team that, you know, unapologetically is you know, for profit and has an owner that is for profit, should be. Certainly nothing wrong with that model, but that does bring in some increased challenges when you're talking about being solicitous when, when people are dealing with what they are. But in the, this, the uh, college space, it was unbelievable how many people were gracious or grateful, I should say, that we reached out. Um, so that myth of, oh, they don't want to hear from us right now was really dispelled almost immediately. And, and I can, I, I hate to generalize, I try to avoid that in all cases, but this was one where it was close to universal. We had a couple partners that were still very sensitive to that. We certainly respected their position, but almost overwhelmingly, the touch points became even more meaningful because with all of the uncertainty and, and sort of the fear and negativity that 2020 and, and COVID and, and has brought, um, you know, people really relish the chance to talk about the institution that they love. And in college, you've got huge brands, multi-generational fan bases. And again, they love the football team, but they love the institution. They love the student athlete and providing a great experience for that student athlete. And if that means a monetary contribution, um, then people are very willing to talk about that. Uh, so that was a pleasant surprise, I think. So in your partner schools, you sell for some schools in the Big Ten, some people in the Pac-12, who initially chose to sit out the football season, but have since reversed course and they jumped back in with a shorter schedule. You represent many other schools and conferences that made the decision to play on. What role did you play in the discussions to potentially sit out? Were you part of that conversation or were you just simply waiting for instructions? Uh, it's probably more the latter. Where we were proactive was building uh, strategic business plans around each potential scenario, which, again, I, I think I mentioned earlier in, in a great U2 song, by the way, uh, old school music reference here, running to stand still. That's how it feels sometimes because, you know, we'll, we'll work with one of our Power Five schools, and I'll, I'll use um, Penn State pops to mind because they announced the schedule and had a really well thought out plan as far as single game tickets. And our data analyst team came up with a fantastic pricing model that we felt was going to maximize revenue with limited. So, so we did all this work. And then five days after the schedule came out, the conference canceled. So then all of a sudden it's okay, how do we pivot our staff now? So you build three or four models for that. And then a month later, um, you know, football's coming back. So now we're in a situation where they're playing football, which is great. And the optics around that are great. It's great for Learfield, the broader enterprise and, and you know, um, our other business verticals, like sponsorship and, you know, broadcasts and all that. Um, but now we're in, back in that holding pattern where there's not fans today, but there could be fans in a month. So again, we're modeling out what does that look like if it's 5,000 or 25,000. So it, all of this work and then you just sort of like get it all teed up in the starting gate and then you wait. Um, so we, we've, we try some levity often, um, you know, another 
great outpouring of this for our company is we use a platform called Microsoft Teams to communicate. So our communication across our nearly 200 employees has never been higher. The engagement's never been greater. But, you know, I, I jab our GMs at schools that can't have fans all the time and just, you know, and tell them that the, the attendance is unacceptable and the lack of sales is unacceptable. And we have a good laugh about it. And we screenshot on Saturday the schools that are playing with very limited fans. We'll take a picture of the stadium on, you know, we'll send it around to each other. And man, we really got to work harder with this GM because the building looks terrible. There's nobody there, you know. So you try to, you try to be light about it, um, you know. Be grateful for the opportunities that we do have and just try to be prepared. So there's been a ton of planning and not as much executing uh, thus far, but I think that's been really the best approach that we can bring to the table for our partners is just to give them another voice in the room on how to think about it. I think no one really prepares for this in the way in which we would like to, but I think you would probably say accidentals and fermatas have been part of your world. Uh, as we go, because you graduated from Belmont as a music business major with a classical piano minor. Many well, people right. don't know that. Uh, <laughs> now, the interesting thing is you started your career in sports then right out of school at the local team, right where you went to school back in 2001 as a seasonal rep for the fairly new at the time Nashville Predators. Yeah. Given your major in music, it doesn't seem like a logical fit. What was the appeal to you to take that job at the Preds? Um, Great question. This is going back over 20 years. I'm dating myself. Um, but uh, I actually started for a brief stand, about a year and a half, I worked for a music publishing company right after school. So, you know, that was sort of a logical uh, direction to go. Um, I have been able to play the piano more too during this actually, Bill. So to, to go back to your very first question, that's been nice. But um, I, I, I love sports. And the concept, and I tell our, our new, especially our young staff all the time, there was no you know, sports marketing degree, if you will. There, there were very few back in the late 90s. And just the thought of a career in sports business, um, you know, it wasn't talked about, didn't seem realistic. In some cases, you know, it wasn't necessary because there just weren't the volume of jobs that there are now, particularly in ticketing. Um, you know, so I had a music business degree and thought, well, I love music as well. I'll, I'll apply my you know, business acumen or lack thereof, some would say, um, and marry that up with music and go. And then the Predators came and they were, you know, pioneers with the whole concept of, you know, seasonal sales teams, which is such an elementary common practice now. But 20 years ago, it was not. And they, I read, a, I found a newspaper ad that a buddy, <laughs> true story, uh, what's a newspaper? Most people are probably thinking. Um, and, you know, he said, uh, hey, the local NHL team, I've been to a bunch of games because I was a huge hockey fan. I'm from St. Louis. I'm a big Blues fan. Uh, they're hiring uh, telephone, telemarketers, the hockey team. I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. Um, so I just applied for the job in very traditional process and was fortunate to get it. And then once I got the job, I was lucky enough to the person running the sales at that time, Scott Loft, who's still an industry veteran, well-respected, he's still a mentor of mine. Um, uh, talk to him, you know, as frequently as I can. Uh, just, just a great, uh, great first boss to have in this business. And, you know, he said, be the first one here, be the last one to leave. Um, you know, know that if, if you're not working as hard as you can, you know, somebody else is. And, and that was really my philosophy out of the gate, as basic as it sounds, was just don't, don't get out-efforted uh, or out-attituded. I just made up a word. But, um, you know, the one thing that you fully control every single day 
is your attitude and how you respond to good situations, how you respond to adversity. Um, we're all in control of that uh, to a large degree. And uh, so I, that was just the approach and I turned it into a full-time job working for Scott. And then, you know, sports careers in almost all cases, it's sort of this confluence of, you know, effort and preparedness, but also timing. And Scott got a great opportunity to go down to Jacksonville and uh, work for the Jaguars, run that operation and was gracious enough to give me a chance to, to go there. And then another sort of pivot from that point, just professionally was a chance to go work for the Rams in St. Louis, my hometown. And uh, Scott was such a huge advocate for that. So in each of those three instances, I really learned that the most rewarding part about what we do, it's, it's not hitting revenue numbers and, you know, breaking sales goals and attendance records. Those things are great. But it's when you see your people grow and when you see somebody you hired as an entry-level person and now they're a director of ticket sales for an MLB or an NHL team, I mean, that is what gets me out of bed truly in the morning. Uh, it sounds a little kumbaya, but but it's it's true. And we're in a small business, very small business. So um, even with the volume of jobs available now, it's incredible to me. It's one degree of separation uh, between you know all of us that have been been at this for the last couple of decades. So um, yeah, that, that that was the the birth of whatever you call this, Bill. <laughs> a newspaper I'm- ad in the Tennessean. We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years, and I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark, and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry, like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zelaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Scher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com demo. That's isbi360.com demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. You know, it's fascinating to me to see the common theme for many of you in senior executive positions have followed one or two individuals or were part of a group that, that kind of went together to a particular market when the opportunity has come up. Is that something you would recommend to people right now who are stuck in a bit of transition to hit your star perhaps to someone else who knows your capabilities? Um, you know, I, I think it's probably slightly different for everyone, but, you know, we use the phrase... Uh, you know, coaching tree often, but you know, we're talking about the NFL, that that's a very common you know, theme on the football side. I think it applies to the sports business side as well. Um, you know, and you, you kind of build this network of people who you've proven yourself to, and you've built up credibility with that group. Um, you know, and so it gives you certainly an advantage, sort of a leader in the clubhouse type of a dynamic. Um, so yeah, I think that's important. You know, the main thing that I would probably do a little bit differently if I look back, you know, the first 
decade or so of my career. I, I speak in decades now. That's where we're at. Bill. <laughs> um, but I think I would have, you know, asked more questions, uh, been more humble and been willing to admit that I really didn't know what the hell I was talking about often because, you know, when you're young and, and you, you think you have all the answers, um, I think it's, it's misguided to try to convey that you're more knowledgeable and prepared than you might be. That humility, that level of self-awareness, um, you know, one of the most cliche questions is what's the most important you know, character trait you can have? And, you know, if I had to answer that, you know, there really isn't one most important, but I put self-awareness way, way up on the list because, you know, you have to know what you don't know and be willing to ask for help and learn. And I don't think I did that as well as I probably could have in the early parts of my career. And then when you get into a leadership position, self-awareness is absolutely critical because you have to build a team that can pick you up where you might struggle or have a weakness. You have to surround yourself with people that are going to challenge you and create an environment where they feel safe challenging you. Um, because you just can't get better if you don't have that type of group and that type of people around you. I mean, yeah, there's some days where I'm just, you know, I think, man, I wish my entire leadership team would just say, yeah, okay, great. And just take, you know, the direction or the st strategic uh, direction that I put forth and go, okay, yeah, that looks great. But, you know, nobody can be at their best unless, again, you have people around you that can say, hey, that's great, but let's think about it maybe a little differently or have we considered this outcome? Um, so I think that's, you know, self-awareness in sort of a different light, again, when you're in a leadership position. But um, I think those things are absolutely critical. Well, let's talk about that for a minute, because throughout this whole pandemic period, there have been so many decisions that have been needed to be made when things began to shut down that no one really had any prior knowledge or experience with. What's an example of a mistake that you made early on in the pandemic? And what did you learn from it? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, again, a little bit on the same theme, I think um, just accepting that, you know, there is no clear and concise and obvious path to take. And I think we came across maybe with some of our partners out of the gate, um, you know, pretty emphatically like, hey, you know, this is how you should approach this. You know, I'll, I'll use refunds as an example. Um, you know, a lot of our partners reached out and said, okay, uh, how should we communicate to fans regarding refunds? Um, you know, should we be proactive with it? Should we just sort of let it come to us? And, you know, until you see the outcome of something like this, you don't really know how fans are going to respond. And I think we thought about it very linearly, linear, <laughs> very linear fashion, I should say, at the outset and said, hey, you need to communicate as quickly and clearly and definitively as possible. Like people are craving information, the, the, the uncertainty, um, you know, is, it, we had a couple of partners that took us up on that and we're very early to go out with a refund policy. And I think, in, and that was almost before there was definitive uh, direction as to are we gonna play, are we not? You know, 20,000 fans, 50%, you hear all these metrics thrown around, should we be six feet apart, two feet apart, eight feet apart, I mean, it can, it can drive you nuts uh, some days. And I think that was a little bit misguided advice on our part. Um, and I think we jumped the gun in a couple cases because instead it sort of incited this, you know, panic from a couple season ticket bases that did have that very early communication and created a lot of phone calls. Well, what do you know that I don't know? And we probably 
created a refund scenario uh, unintentionally. I think we thought maybe the opposite would happen uh, and we saw a higher uh, influx of refunds. And then you spend the next couple months scrambling to go reach back out to those people and have them redirect those dollars in different ways. So it was really a consequence that we voluntarily created, um, not knowingly and certainly not intentionally, but um, I think that led to a more deliberate, cautious approach with our you know, strategies with our individual partners because of some of that early knowledge that we gained from sure. us. Yeah. Well, one of the decisions that was made was to approach those who have purchased season tickets and a development role and say, can you or would you bring that money into our fold for us to be able to use to continue to develop the programs of those collegiate athletic departments? Something certainly the pros can't do. Right. Uh, not do it well anyway. You can't say, hey, I'd like you to pay for LeBron James' salary. Please give me your ticket money. <laughs> that's, a that's a tough sell. Yeah. Yeah. But from a collegiate perspective, my guess is that you found a significant amount of, of, uh, of traction from that. We, we did. And um, we, we've got some, some really, really neat client stories um, that have come out of this. But, you know, I think where we've had the most success is where we've just been very transparent with the conversation. And the reason that we're having the conversation, we've had a few partners where literally it was, look, uh, we have an athletic department and there's, you know, a half a dozen, 10, a dozen sports that might be compromised because of the financial strain that's being put on this school. You, as a donor, can have a direct impact on not just those sports, but the student athletes that have worked their you know, entire life to get to this point. And now they're at a, in a large power five school and they're on a scholarship. And um, you know, when you appeal to, to people in that sense, again, you have to remember you're, in, you're, you're talking to people that have a deep connection with not a sport or a team or a group of, of you know, specific athletes. It's an institution. It's an institution of learning in many cases. In many cases, they attended school there, have a, a kid that's there now. Um, so I think we tried in, you know, a lot of it was driven by how comfortable the, the school was and our, their administration with that level of transparency. But the places that said, yeah, embrace that, because that's what we're talking about. I mean, this is, this, these are difficult times. I mean, stating the obvious, um, but let's, let's be open about that. Let's talk about that. Let's admit that, you know, maybe we're a little scared. Maybe there's a little uncertainty with the future of, of said athletic department, and let's not be afraid to talk about it. In such a strange period of time, what do you think this unique situation has given sports an opportunity to do or perhaps to be that may never come again? Is there some window of opportunity right now to change or improve something that you see? Yeah, I, I think, again, just understanding that fans want to and crave being engaged, um, especially when, you know, it's not something you need from them or something you're asking them to do or transact or provide. Um, a lot of times it's just dialogue, you know, it's conversation. And we, you know, we've had to pivot a lot of our teams to just having those types of conversations and just being a listening ear, um, answering questions that, that may come up. And there's no talk about the transaction with many of our touch points right now. And I think the second is you just can't take your, your fans for granted. Um, there's so much noise in the world. Now there was, you know, before 2020, there were distra more distractions than there had ever been. 
So the way we were selling tickets was already evolving dramatically. And, you know, having to view our, you know, commerce and our strategy as teams, you know, people want a, a consumer experience like they get every day through you know, an Amazon, uh, which is convenient, frictionless, quick. Um, you know, their preferences are, are known, so they don't have to look as much. Um, they're spoken to in a very tailored, customized manner. Like, I think for, for sports teams to think that we can kind of just roll the ball out and, you know, we're a team or we're a school and our fans, you know, they love us. They're going to come no matter what. Um, I think that is, is misguided. And I think this year, this experience is going to underscore the fact that um, you need to engage fans in a personal uh, and a tailored way more so than ever. And again, I, I believe that was true, you know, before uh, 2020 in the last six, seven months, but it'll become even more true now. And on a very small scale, you know, frankly, and it, it's been in the media recently for the, a lot of the schools, a lot of the teams that are able to have fans, this expectation that pent up demand as soon as you made the tickets available they were going to get gobbled up because there were so few of them well that's not happening and again you can look at that one of two ways you can uh you know be panicked about that if you're you know sitting in my chair if, if you're a company like ours uh, or view that as an opportunity to go and tell our story more broadly and realize that i think the value proposition we can bring to a partner uh, it's definitely deeper and more profound uh, and more layered and diverse than it was six months ago, but it's probably more necessary as well. So I think maybe that's an opportunity for, you know, a company like Learfield IMG College and specifically ticket solutions that we're going to, yeah, our efforts are going to be more valuable and more relevant than ever coming out of this. Yeah. Let me give you a few rapid fire questions. Just the first thing that pops into your head and, uh, uh -oh. and wrap this up today. You ready? You can go for it. All right. Favorite binge watch during the pandemic? <laughs> um, I, I, this sounds ridiculous. There really hasn't been one. Uh, first thing that popped into my head. How about this? The Olympic Channel. I okay. found the Olympic Channel and have gotten into watching uh, some of that old ceremonies, you know, old feats. So, yeah, there you Excellent. go. Your standby piece to play on the piano when you're in the good mood? Rachmaninoff, uh, Prelude and C-sharp minor. Besides sports, the one thing you miss most about life before March? Uh, I think just being out around uh, clients, partners, people. I'm a people person, and, you know, I do Zoom as much as I can. But, uh, uh, yeah, I miss people and being, being present. Favorite non-St. Louis pro sports team? Uh, Leeds United, not even close. And right now, if the English Premier League season ended today, Leeds United would be in the Europa League, first year back in 17. Favorite. I have been watched a lot of Leeds United highlights too, by the way. <laughs> Favorite comedian or comedian? The Hodge twins. Cool. Favorite thing about St. Louis that you missed the most? Uh, you know, Cardinal baseball on a sunny afternoon with a cold Budweiser. Nice. Favorite thing about Texas that you're glad about? No state income tax. Car you would drive if you could drive anything you wanted? A Hyundai Genesis, believe it or not. Cool. And one bold prediction you would have for sports going forward. Uh, Leeds United wins the English Premier League. <laughs> for those who are into EPL, that's pretty bold. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure they would have. Hey, Leicester City did it, so can we. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. I've been talking with Jake By, Executive Vice President of Sales and Service of Learfield IMG College Ticket and Seat Solutions. Jake, you've been very gracious. Thank you so much for joining us here on the crowd. You bet, Bill. I enjoyed it. Best to you. Thanks. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of the Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening and so long for now. This is the Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.